Pastor Danielle and Rabbi Ari have been leading tours to Israel for many years on their own, but this year they got to lead an interfaith tour of Jews and Christians. In this podcast, they share some highlights, some surprises, and some reflections on the meaning of this particular experience. Kodesh Tov, 2,000 Years of History, and Yad Vashem. This week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. We're back. We've been gone for a few weeks because we've been someplace together with a large group of people. Three weeks. Who's counting? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Pastor Danielle and... I'm Rabbi Ari and we just got back from three weeks in Israel, a week on our own and two weeks leading a joint Christian Jewish tour. Called Intersecting Journeys. Which our tour company got as Intersection Journeys, so that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Two sects, two faith expressions, Jews and Christians together on a tour wandering around the country of Israel. And we really did go around quite a bit of the country in the two-week time period. Yeah, and we've been to places that I took you to places you don't usually go. You Mm -hmm. took me to places that I don't usually go. We both went to places that weren't even open before. And that was um, a very interesting way to see things that I haven't seen for 40 years or at all. Mm. And so that that was really, really kind of fun. It was also interesting to watch our tourers, our tourists interact Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. even though they came in family groups, they also just mingled a lot with all kinds of people, sat around and, and, uh, and interacted in exactly the ways we were hoping that they would interact, but weren't sure. Yeah. We, I don't think I knew for sure how long it was going to take. I thought, you know, it will happen. People will start having the common shared experience of walking in the land together and that'll start bringing people together. But it was really almost after, I mean, it just felt like the first day everyone started to talk and share and, um, and open themselves up to a new experience. And I don't know if it was because people who decide to go on a Jewish and Christian tour. Um, therefore like the, both faiths, like the Jews that are opting in and the Christians that are opting in, are both opting into some level of discomfort that they tend to be more open and loving people or more open to the concept of having that experience with one another. Um, and I think, you know, prior to going, we had also coached the communities a little bit that they shouldn't go with the expectation that we're going to agree on everything. We're going with the expectation that no one is going to convert, right? Um, that everyone's going to stay on the same side of the their team, so to speak. <laughs> um, but that we're simply going to listen and learn from one another and share those walks. And it turned out that it it didn't take long at all for mm-hmm. everyone to start to share experiences with one another. And partly because we had a couple people who couldn't walk very well. Mm-hmm. And so they needed some help. Mm-hmm. And so people, both communities, quickly ended up helping them. Right. Quickly started offering arms and assistance and carrying bags. And it was quite sweet. Yeah. Which is an interesting aspect of community, right? Like how um, that we've talked about this a lot because of Purim and the Amalekites, but the maturity of the community to sort of surround those that are needing additional assistance and put them in their midst. And that happened a lot. People, no one was resentful or upset. Everyone wanted um, every single person on the tour to have a great experience. And that was really lovely. I think another thing that helped a lot was that within a lot of your members of your community, um, 
people had had a lot of experience already with Christianity, whether they had converted from Christianity into Judaism or in the process of doing that, um, or they had family members or very close friends that had been Christians. And so they'd sort of had those experiences prior. Whereas I think there were a number of the Christians on the tour who don't actually have that they know of close Jewish friends. And, um, and they walked away from the tour saying, oh, now I have 12, <laughs> which was a really wonderful thing that that was at the conclusion of the tour saying, oh, I have a whole bunch of Jewish friends and I didn't have any at the beginning. Well, it's easier to have Christian friends if you're Jewish in America <laughs> right? than right. You know, the other way around just because there's so many more Christians mm-hmm. than there are Jews. And it's we all grow up with uh, a lot of Christianity on television and the movies, et cetera, et cetera. So in the we, shops, yeah. In the shops, yes. Well, yeah, that's commercialization. But still, you, you get a mm-hmm. lot of, uh, you get a fairly large dosage of, uh, of Christian explanations of right. things in, in, the, uh, in the world. But you don't get that from the Jewish side mm-hmm. unless it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, Who's bleeding this week? But you know, right? Yeah. Well, actually, I was uh, one of the members of the um, from Eitz Chaim. Uh, he mentioned how powerful it was for him the first time he was in Jerusalem, walking down the street um, on a Friday, and everyone saying Shabbat Shalom, and how it was the first time, right, in his entire life that he was a member of the majority culture of that moment, right, and and how powerful that was to not to all of us had not be a minority. And there were Christians who were watching it all happen at the same mm-hmm. time, and they were going, oh, that's what it means to have a Jewish majority state. Right, 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 absolutely. So, yeah, that was, that was especially because we were able to say things. People have heard Shabbat Shalom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's Shabbat. But they don't hear Chodesh Tov, mm-hmm. have a new month that's good. And our trip began on the first day of the new month of Adar, which is the month that has Purim. And you could get away, you could say Chodesh Tov, and people would say Chodesh Tov back to you. And I, and I have to say that if I had taken Christians on a tour to Israel, I wouldn't on purpose have taken them on a tour of Purim, mm-hmm. just because it's not part of their consciousness. Sure. Uh, they may have heard of Esther, they may have read the book of Esther, they may have heard of the Feast of Esther, but they certainly haven't heard of Purim Right. in, that, in those kind of ways. And so to be so surrounded by... Purim and costumes and Purim t- pastries right, and momentages, right. all kinds of things for two weeks, solid, everywhere you go, pop-up costume stores, everything, right. just to see that. And then I got a um, an email from uh, from Brian and Bonnie who left uh, the tour uh, a couple hours before we did, mm-hmm. and they were, they were going out at 2 in the morning in their Sherwood, and we were at 4.30 in the morning, and there were people still all night in Jerusalem <laughs> in costume. Right. I thought it was a little crazier at the in, you know four or five in the morning when. Sure. But they were still out there, and um, uh, yeah, for just just to see that intensity and that level of uh, porimaciousness, I don't know if that's. Well, I, and there's and I think they experienced both aspects: the religious aspect as well as just the celebratory national aspect to it. Right, like this is right. Um, you know, for lack of a better comparison, sort of like, you know, Halloween in Israel, right? I mean, in terms of everybody participating, dressing costumes and candy and celebration. I mean, it's very different. But um, in terms of just seeing all of that uh, happening, whether somebody's actually celebrating Esther or even going to a synagogue and reading the Megillah, they're still participating in Purim. Yep. So that was a thing that that I didn't, anticipate having, mm. having happened. I mean, I knew that we were going to be right. 
we were there over Purim, but that was as much thought as I'd given it until we got there and found out it was the beginning of the month. I just knew it was about that time. I just didn't think all these things together mm-hmm. and have them make such a a big deal out of it or a big McGill, as we'd say. Right? <laughs> but um, it it worked out okay. I, like I say, it was it's not a first century thing, so it's not on your radar, mm-hmm. though you're very aware of all Jewish practices in general. But it, it was not that kind of... It's actually probably one of the few Jewish um, ceremonies and day, special days that was in existence at the time of Jesus. It's not mentioned in the New Testament right, anywhere. Right, So that was a very interesting thing, just to, to see uh, on my level and on your level how that was in and not in any of our consciousnesses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even as a congregational rabbi in America, or even as a Hillel rabbi in America, where I'm busy... For months before any festival, getting things ready for that festival so that I'm living them at different parts of the year. Right. Um, Even then, I was not, and even having been in Israel for Purim several times, I was not really ready emotionally for how overwhelmingly a Purim would be a part of our trip. Yeah, and, and, you know, for those who aren't familiar, right, I mean, one of the main points of, of the festival or the Feast of Esther of Purim is to remember that um, in every generation there is a threat to right. the Jewish people. In every generation, um, in every moment, in every nation, in every community, we see people rising up, um, the Hamans of this world, the Amalekites of this world, with the intent to wipe God's people off the face of this earth. And so when you are have Purim in your consciousness for two weeks, and you also happen to be running around the country trying to explain ancient Israelite history to everyone for over like a two to three thousand year period within two weeks, you're running into with regularity the Amalekites and the Hamans of various different time periods. And the Assyrians and the Babylonians right. so if you're talking and the Persians. About and... Pharaoh in Egypt or you're talking about Assyrians or Babylonians or Persians or or crusaders or whomever it might be that's the threat um, to the Jewish people in the moment. And then of course ending our tour at Yad Vashem really, I mean, that closing day, you know, we have all of these experiences then where we're remembering um, even the Holocaust, even the most recent memory, and we're still um, still dealing with these realities, whether it's the threats that are being called into um, Jewish community centers. And, and while we were in Israel, that threat was called into the Palo Alto Jewish Community Center, where we both participate in a lot of Jewish life there, where, um, you know, we have family and friends that attend facility programs there. And and just to continue to be reminded that the threat, unfortunately, is is still alive in this world. So I think the theme of Purim wasn't just, oh, we're still visiting this deep, this feast of Esther, right? We're still remembering something that happened thousands of years ago. No, no, we're still experiencing how it is still happening today even while we stand here at Megiddo, for example, and talk about those present day threats of that time when Megiddo was being built up under Solomon, you know. It made all those threats a whole lot more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that was, that I wasn't ready for, that I didn't really expect, even as many times as I've been to church services, as many times as I've been to your services, um, I, I was not really emotionally prepared for being in basically a traveling revival show. <laughs> now, you're not a traveling revival show. We didn't have all you guys doing the songs and things. But everywhere we went, there was a Jesus story to be told. Hmm. And uh, and so that was a very interesting thing 
to me because of the ways that uh, I saw you intersecting with all these stories mm. in all these places. Mm -hmm. So they might have just been biblical stories from another time altogether, but sure. still it had a lead up mm. or a present to you and, and, mm. and Kevin about, about Jesus. And so I heard more Jesus mm. words in these two weeks than I've heard in any other concentrated part of my life mm -hmm. before. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I think, sure, I, I, it's hard for me to separate myself from that language. So even if we're talking about a David and Goliath story, right. which we did at the Valley of Elah, I'm going to use language that sounds Christian because yep. I'm a Christian, even though I'm not necessarily talking about Jesus right. at the Valley of Elah. I'm just talking about David and Goliath and geography and historical geography and how the land is functioning and how the Philistines are coming and why David wants to send or Jesse wants to send David down, why that's important, um, right? And what kind of leaders we want. So we can have all that conversation there, but because of the language that I use, yep. it can sound like a, a Christian still. It still sounds like a Christian. And so preaching. that was very interesting. And I mm -hmm. was wondering what my people were thinking at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And since we haven't really had a chance to interrogate them. Sure. <laughs> I have no idea what they thought. I do know that given the fact that the times that they did talk, um, nobody brought it up as an issue. Right. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they did talk about becoming open to other aspects of Christianity of which they were not aware. Hmm. So um, that was an interesting experience. We'll see how that works out. Sure. It's funny because when you're saying that, I'm thinking, wow, and I felt like we didn't talk about Jesus until we got to the Galilee. <laughs> so for me, it was like that wasn't part of my... Because I was sort of doing historical timeline of Israel, right? So we start with um, patriarchs, and we go into Moses, and we're hanging out in a Bedouin tent. So it feels very much like ancient Israelite mm -hmm. history rather than first temple, first century, second temple period history. Um, and the first full day we were in the Galilee, uh, you were under the weather, and I was really uncomfortable because you stayed back at our kibbutz for the day right and and I went out with the community and I'm looking and I'm thinking really like I gotta be in the galley on my first Jesus day talking about first century Judaism and rabbinic Judaism and how that all happens in Galilee and I'm going to be doing it with Jews and Christians together but the Jewish community doesn't have their rabbi today and because of my sensitivities, you know, for Christian attempts towards conversion in the Jewish community and all those things, I felt super uncomfortable. And I think I, I kept apologizing throughout the day to, <laughs> to all the Jewish members of our, of our tour, like, hey, you know, uh, you should ask Ari about this. And I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm just trying to tell this story and really trying to keep it historical um, and not theological. But it's, it's part of, you know, my, my Christian faith is part of who I am. So yeah. I know because when we got to Galilee is when is when uh, it it became very much an exploration of the New Testament stories which take place mostly in the Galilee. Right. So that was a very interesting thing. One of the things you asked me about was when we were in Farnachum, whether or not that first century synagogue was significant to me, mm -hmm. and I have to say that um, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And not, not so much that it wasn't interesting, because it was, sure. because there's other stuff that's there too, um, and looking at the different styles, but the situation had so changed, that is, 
the entire place was a Christian place. Right. It's so it was run a synagogue and a Christian Catholic place. Catholic church, right. right. Mm-hmm. And so even though I've seen a lot of first century synagogues, like the one on Masada and other, other places, I'm, I'm not that excited about first century or second, third, second century. It's, I just, mm-hmm. I don't, I find myself more involved in older and newer times mm-hmm. than first mm-hmm. century. And, and not because first century is right. bad or overwhelmingly <clears throat> right. Jesus or something. Right. It's, it's just that the architecture is not as exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that there are other things that are, that are doing that as well. Um, like I say, I, I, I don't, I don't feel that excited about the synagogue on Masada or the other first century synagogues. I think partly because um, also they're about the same size as synagogues in Israel today. Right. Neighborhood synagogues. Mm-hmm. And they're not at all the same size as American synagogues. Because syn- American yeah. synagogues are so big. Except because they have, Kafarn- to have a whole community too. Uh, Capernaum, Capernaum yeah. is, is much bigger. I mean, I asked you, I did say, what did you think about the size? You're yep. like, it's big. Yep. It's it's bigger than a lot of little synagogues you pop into as you're walking down the street in no, Jerusalem. No, certainly. It's one of the bigger ones, but still it's pretty small. Sure. I mean, Eitz Chaim is bigger than that. I don't think so. I don't think the with the school attached, I think it's at least comparable in size. It's true. We don't have as big pillars either. Right, right. The architecture is <laughs> a bit different. Not, not as much stone. Yeah. Um, no, but that was a, that was an interesting thing for me to find out. I mean, like I say, sure. I've been to them before mm-hmm. and I didn't realize, um, maybe because it was the age, maybe because it was the size and anyway, right. that they were not as impressive to me Sure, as the water system at Megiddo or something like right. that. <laughs> right. Which is quite impressive. Yeah. 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 So those were interesting things. I also, you know, we also had the World Baseball Championship going on at the same time, <laughs> Israel making a small run for it. Right. And people getting excited about that for four wins, and then it kind of mm-hmm. fizzled out. Mm-hmm. But um, that was an interesting point. And we also had one security mission when we were sitting on top of Herodion, and the army wouldn't let uh, people go in various ways because right. they were... Um, I think I think what they did was they had a machine go in and shoot a bomb, well, a suspected bomb, because mm-hmm. we heard three shots, but we didn't hear any big booms. So right. somebody left the suitcase somewhere. Well, and and we should say that I mean you had to kind of be really paying attention. Nobody was in any harm. Nobody no. was near any place where any of that was you know possible. No, we again. were way high up yeah, on yeah. the on the hill, Quite and far it was away. and just so we could see that there was no traffic going anywhere as right. we. As we began to um, think about getting off that mountain, <laughs> I could see us being backed up in that traffic for a long time. So yeah, but we weren't at all. Everything was quite no, easy was okay. and fine. And yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think it's all quite routine um, there in, in the West Bank. You're in the West Bank and Herodian's located there. And so, um, and there's uh, com- Jewish communities in there in that space as well, right next to Palestinian communities and people are sorting out life and it's complicated. I think, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about with you as we reflect on the tour is the idea of why even do this? Why why do we even lead people and take people to Israel in general? Um, yeah. it's I've been doing tours like this since uh, 2003, and there's been quite a number of um, 
persons that we've had the privilege to lead around the land. And, you know, even just the idea of trying to fill a tour, I mean, you have to convince people to spend a, a good portion of their annual income, a nice little section that they have to send and, or, you know, invest in this desire to go to Israel. And you can, at least in the Christian community, right, you know, why go? Why do I need to go? Um, isn't everything I need to know just sort of in this in this Bible that I carry around with me? Um, we often in America, you know, read Jesus as a as a Gentile, as a Westerner, right? He, he gets often portrayed as sort of blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and a white guy. You know, very rarely do we see him portrayed as a Jew, as a first-century Jew. And... Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, why do we do this? Why is it important that people go, um, whether Jewish or Christian? I mean, so you can speak about it from your perspective of why have you been taking uh, persons over to Israel for years? Well, you know, it's interesting that 60% of travel from America to Israel is Christian travel. Mm -hmm. Only less than 40 is Jewish travel. And um, you could say, well, it's because there's so many more Christians than Jews. Yes, but it's a Jewish country, Jewish right. majority country. So you'd think that Jews would go there. Um, and uh, Jews are much more, um, well, this way, we're not that religious as a overall people. The ones who are religious are the ones who are visiting. And going back and forth with going regularity. Going back and forth with regularity. The ones who are not are the ones who are not visiting at all or very seldom, if at all. And uh, part of that and why I take them is so they can get emotionally connected to it. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that some of the people said uh, on our trip, and it's very true, is that it's different to hear these stories told when you're standing right. in, the, in the place. And right. when I was in rabbinical school and I heard all these stories that I was subsequently going to study in much more depth, but happening at the places that I happen to be standing at the, right. at the moment, it really made a huge difference. And so trying to take people is uh, a big thing for me. So they'll get it connected there. But the other thing that I like to do is make sure that when they walk in, they look around and they see the Jews and they don't look like Jews. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them look prototypically Jewish, but the majority of Israeli Jews don't look prototypically Jewish. And by prototypically Jewish, you mean dark Orthodox. skin, dark hair. Ah. No, the, the the kind of you know uh, so not racial... necessarily how they dress, but Semitic looking. Even. Yeah, Semitic looking. They don't they don't look mm -hmm. that Semitic looking. Some mm -hmm. of them do, most of them don't. Mm -hmm. uh, it's partly because we come from all around the world, and it shows you how much we've intermarried with people because we come back looking like people from all around the world. And so when we get to Israel and we mix even further, we mm -hmm. look even less prototypically Semitic mm -hmm. than people in America or in Nazi Germany or whatever mm -hmm. you want to see people drawing pictures and caricatures of Jews. Mm -hmm. So I want people to see that. I want Jews to see that. I want non-Jews to see that. Mm -hmm. In Israel, we don't look Jewish. Mm -hmm. Interesting. In the same kind of way. So I want them to see and can be connected to the land and the story, and I want them to be connected to the people. When you're connected to the people, you don't feel the same when you find somebody's been blown up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the news you feel more concerned and I want that to occur as well so in the trips that right. I take them to they meet more more people more modern more modern people than, mm -hmm. than we do on, on, than on this particular trip um, just so they can understand from people explaining and what they're doing right. there and, and et cetera um, 
Well, and one of the things when we were developing this particular tour, it was with the idea that people who had gone with us before and had already had that other experience would be having this one sort of as a layer cake, you know, cherry on top. They want to go again and they want a different type of experience. So, um, so that didn't happen. We only had about five people who'd been to Israel before on our trips together. Right. right. And, uh, and the, the other 18, uh, had never been. So we uh, really had to deal with mm-hmm. that first-timer situation, even though we were doing both of our trips right. in a non-first-time way. Right. We kind of created it for it would so that it would be for non-first-timers. I think that was my assumption. We thought, yeah. if hey, if a Jewish person or a Christian person has never been before, they're going to want to go with their own tribe and their own teacher that first time, and then they'll be open to maybe a more... Uh, a different set of viewpoint, you know, the second time. Uh, but yeah, we only had, we had six people who I know had been there before. Um, and maybe, I think that maybe, maybe one or two more, but it wasn't the majority. Yeah. And one of the things that I take people for is so they can get invested in, mm-hmm. in what's going on today. Um, a lot of Jews don't want to go because it's just too aggravating. Mm-hmm. to get involved in all that stuff. The, mm-hmm. the, we're always aggravated by the news. Mm-hmm. We're always getting involved in it. And you want to go on a vacation? Why would you go to Israel where right. everything is going crazy all right. the time? You know, at least you think it's going to be mm-hmm. that way. Let's go to where you can plant yourself on a beach or just, right. you know, just read a book, read a escape. Book. escape. Israel is not an escape destination mm-hmm. for vacation. No. Even though my family can do that now because we've been to all the places, we can just go and... right. Hang Certainly, and not feel that like that nice kibbutz by the Sea of Galilee, we could escape at for a little bit of time, or yep. when we're on the Mediterranean Sea, yep, or even down in the desert, yep. And now all those places were beautiful, and you can do that. But when you go to Israel, mm-hmm. all the people who come back from my trip say, "Well, they feel like they got a PhD in what they was doing because it, right. it's so full of stuff." Right. Um, it's not a PhD because they didn't write any kind of original research, mm-hmm. but they did have to pay attention and learn mm-hmm. some things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and they came back knowing a whole heck of a lot more than they ever knew. And at the beginning, it's overwhelmingly paralyzing. Right. Because right. all the easy answers that you were able to yell and kick at before, right. you can't do that anymore. So am I right in my understanding that some of what you do when you take your people is it it, that you want them to have enough of an experience there in the land that it complicates whatever politics they they may or may not be participating in when they're back you're you're gonna mess (laughs) them up right so so if there was a sort of these are the good guys and these are the bad guys of whatever portion of the conflict they want to be on, right? Um, and maybe there's even some tendency and more liberal aspects of our society to, to more quickly, it seems, blame Israel uh, versus the Palestinians or having shared responsibility. I'm going to hear a lot of that in the news or we see it in the UN or in other places. Um, so part of what you're hoping you can do when you bring your people there is to say, oh, here's Here's where it um, here's where it meets the road, right? Here's where the rubber meets the road, and here's the practicalities of those policies that you so quickly, you know, hit like on on Facebook. That's right, and and uh, I, I want to make sure that they've they've heard the right, left, center, up, down, and right beyond, um, so that nobody comes across as a caricature. Right. Not you know, and it's too easy for 
Americans to caricature Arabs too. Right. Because right. The, oh, the smart Israelis and the dumb little Arabs and the poor little Arabs, and it's like really these are smart people too. Right. And and so right. all the it, it, I don't want anybody to to get the Uncle Tom treatment. I don't want right. anybody to get the easy treatment. I want everybody to be a real live human being in her his own right presenting to the people and we did not do that on this particular trip they had to get that from the news mm-hmm. yeah we didn't we didn't try because again that's something that you had done on your other tours yeah. this tour wasn't with the idea of um repeating that particular experience but i think people start to fall in love with the land and the people that they're meeting mm-hmm. um and we were in a few different communities where they got to hear from some locals you know in that aspect and and i think that then more than anything else, people go home saying it's complicated, right? There's, uh, when I was living in Nachla, right outside uh, Machane Huda, the Shuk in uh, Jerusalem, I went down, Kevin and I were there, and we went and started meeting all the shopkeepers that I was probably going to be purchasing from with some regularity while I was living there. And one of the shopkeepers we met was like this really fancy, beautiful soaps, right? And he was really happy and stuff like that to show us all of his workmanship. And then he sat down and we were just chatting with him because that's what you do in the shook, right? You're going to sit down with a shopkeeper unless it's really busy time of day, you can sit down and have a conversation. And he said, listen, we're really glad you're here. If you need anything, you just come. If you have any trouble, just come and find me here in the shook. But just please don't ever say you understand anything about Israeli politics. <laughs> I was like, the, we have all these Westerners coming over here. They spend like five minutes and they decide that they have a simple answer. They can solve this 3,000-year-old problem. And even while I was there this last time, I had a friend say to me, um, okay, really quick, and I know it's off topic, but can you just explain the Mideast peace conflict in like five minutes or less? And I said, no. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I cannot do that. Do you want me to talk about maybe the last 10 years? Do you want me to talk about the last 20? Maybe, no, no, I can't even do that in five minutes, right? Like you, these aren't easily solved problems. If it had been easily solved, we would have solved it a long time ago. That's yeah. true. <laughs> and I have. It's kind of funny to me that people even have that kind of right. concept that they could do that. Sure. Can you quickly understand? Well, and in the U.S., we might be able to say, well, our history is only 200 years old or so. Like I can talk about some aspect of that fairly succinctly within a short TED talk, right? But you're you're in a land that stretches back where you're like, well, this remain over here is from the Calcolithic Stone Age period. And that's just in the city of David. So, you know, when you're sitting there and you can point to Calcolithic cuppings that are maybe at the base of a larger palace from the Judean period of David and the kings, well, then you, you're, you're talking about something that's a bit older than 200 years in that's the U.S. That's true. But a lot of the politics are, are prettier. Pretty recent. Yes and no, right? I mean, you can't talk about the current problem without also talking about Britain, and then you can't talk about without also talking about the Ottomans, and then you can't really talk about it, right? Like, I mean, there it ends up being a cascading, yep. a, a quick cascading. You can't even take them to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher without talking about all of the different people groups in the area. Um, I teach this Bible study; it goes through the Bible in five months, and I had somebody the other night tell me how depressed they were by all the violence and the killing, you know, as they're reading through the Bible chronologically. They've just finished Kings, and um, and now we're, we're doing some prophets. And so they're reading, you know, the realities of the exile. We just are finishing uh, Jeremiah and now Ezekiel. 
And, and I said, okay, I, I understand, but you recognize that, first of all, you're reading through thousands of years of history, so of course the people are going to die, right? Like, they're not going to live more than a Speed normal lifespan, right? <laughs> so you're going to be falling in love, quote-unquote, with people who will be dying within their normal lifespan, but you're reading over 2,000 years of history, so that's going to be a lot of death. Secondly, it's the center of the world. We've talked about how Israel's that crossroads of the world, and there's all these pressures upon it. None of that has changed. That is still the same. So as we talk about powers that are rising and falling, we're going to constantly be talking about people who want to run through the land. And it's one of my professors used to say that Israel is a land where of mice, but the cats like to come and play, right? And so the cats of Egypt or Assyria or Babylon or Persia or Iraq, Iran, right? All of these other pressures of the day. The reason why I take people is because I feel like uh, I can trace back all of these general abuses and misunderstandings and anti-Semitism within the church, um, racial misunderstandings and, and, uh, and all of the mess, I feel like I can trace all of that back from, from ter- in terms of looking for the origin in, in a Christian community to a very poor misunderstanding of text. If people understood the text in its original context and its historical context, if they could engage a little bit with the historical languages, at least just a little, if they could at least contend with the fact that Jesus was a first century Jew, right? That uh, wrapped in first century Jewish flesh, that that meant something, that that the way in which he lived, how he lived, what he wore, what he contended, what he ate, um, how he um, expressed faithfulness and all that, since Jesus is the central person of, of Christianity. If we can contend with all of that, start to understand that in first century Jewish context, um, then I feel like I can start to solve some of the problems that I see in the historical church and in the current church. Uh, I want to avoid the Haman and the Amalekites rising up again. Uh, I want to fight it when it comes. And I want people, I want the church, the people who claim to be followers of Jesus to be standing alongside me doing that. Uh, Whether it's um, anti-Semitism or racism from the white evangelical church, which we're contending with now with 81% of white evangelicals having uh, voted in our last election um, for a candidate who has publicly embraced um, some pretty challenging values that are antithetical, at least to the teachings of Jesus. So when I take people, I want to, my hope is that when they leave, they have had that experience of studying story in place and space, right? Um, that, that they have an experience of saying, oh, this story happened because, again, you might debate aspects of historicity within our biblical narrative, but I can see that the valley is described the same way that it is in front of me is in 1 Samuel, right? I can see that um, this place of Megiddo or the Jezreel Valley or the the weather systems or how the land is functioning, this is real space, real time. And people really lived in this real space, real time, and there were real consequences to their obedience or disobedience Um, in that land. And so I want people to walk home with at least having had that experience of reading the text in the space. One of the things that I like to do as well, and we did have a chance to do this time, is to show them a different mental Israel. Mm. Because if you look at all these different movies that have been made about biblical stories, they're all happening in in (laughs) desert parts of Italy so that... Right. The Sea of Galilee looks like the Pacific Ocean. Right. Well, that looks like the, they all just look 
worse and drier and right. crazier than anything that is there. And being able to drive through there when even the northern negative desert was green. Green and wildflowers. And flowers yeah. everywhere. And it was just amazing with all the uh, cranes, the 40,000 mm-hmm. cranes in the uh, wetlands. and Yeah. Going through the flower forest that was tucked in the middle of nothing. Mm-hmm. Just to see how pretty the land can be and how right. green and lush and Fruitful. Alive, fruitful, yep. and that's a that's a view that most people don't have. People see it as being full of thorns and dry, dry and not a whole lot of water. And you know, it, it's it, it's not that it's pouring with water, but it certainly is not as dry as most of the movies show. It right. was not. It was really wonderful to be able to do mm-hmm. that. After after a few days, we we gonna sound like a like a broken record because oh, right. look, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty. But because Israel has two seasons, wet and dry, right? right? I mean, to be there in the wet season when we're frequently there in the dry season because that's when summer makes it easier for people to travel. It was a yeah. it was a gift to be there in that time. Oh yeah, it wasn't so hot. It wasn't so killer hot, and it was beautiful. Yeah. Just going up the everywhere you went, there were surprising numbers of flowers. Right. Yeah. The the other reason why I take people is so that they can come back with a deep appreciation um, and a sense of debt um, to the Jewish people, to that they have a sense of the um, historical Jewish and Hebraic context for their faith. And I think that if we had um, done a better job of that in the church for the last 2,000 years. We could have avoided a lot of pain and suffering. So uh, it's not just about trying to avoid a repeat of history, but it, it's also about trying to live into a new, um, more hopeful and more fruitful reality, which I think in many ways happened and we got to experience in some really beautiful ways at different surprising moments, right? It goes back to your saying like, you're going to show up in Israel and you might expect to have this moment that's really deeply meaningful at this one place and it won't happen there, right? But it, may, it could just happen in a parking lot. Right. But I think that the people that came and the community that was developed and created as Christians sat in a Shabbat service by the Sea of Galilee, right? Jews Um, were clamoring for equal time for the Christian service. Right, and and we weren't (laughs) planning on doing a Christian service because we were already in Galilee. It was fine, right? And I don't typically do one on Sunday morning there. And... um, (laughs) <laughs> and my church even meets on Sunday afternoons. And then, but we had, yeah, Jewish members of our community say, fair is fair, Danielle. We, you sat through ours, so we want to sit through yours, <laughs> <laughs> through something together a little quickly that Sunday morning. Um, but, but I think that even that showed the deep intentionality of both members of our community to try to listen and to share and to experience with one another. And there were many times where I actually felt... Um, you know, greatly privileged just to be in that community and to be able to listen to you, to listen to the um, different members of the community share and and to be able to share some of our story in those places and to not feel like it was contentious. I don't feel like there was one moment where we had anyone, you know, feeling threatened or that they were trying to defend or or argumentative. In fact, watching even at Yad Vashem, you know, obviously the experience is different for Jews and Christians there. It, it needs to be. But I didn't see, regardless of the distinction of the experience, whether it's, you know, walking through as something that has happened to you and to your people or walking through with the knowledge that maybe you or your people helped contribute to this Holocaust um, or, you know, h- how you reconcile that. Every person walked out weeping. Every person walked out, I think, with a deeper um, commitment 
to making sure that it doesn't happen again and and a great understanding for the for why the nation of israel exists well it was a great tour thanks for thanks for the experience together absolutely <laughs>